Well, I'm excited to be back two weeks in a row. I don't think this has ever happened in all the many, many years that I've been coming from Colorado to be with you and preach. And one of the things that afforded for me to do for this Sunday is I got to wear my Father's Day granddaughter hot dog socks. Thank you. I mean, this, this is church right here. I, I feel so cool in these hot dog socks. My granddaughters would be so proud of me right now, even though their grandmother is mortified. All right. And so I think I'm just going to preach with these showing because one of my jobs as a husband is to, you know, just make my wife uncomfortable as much as possible. So. And Steve tells me that we're having hot dogs uh, during the lunch today, so he's grilling hot dogs for us, so it's just all coming together, all coming together at Westbury. All right. You guys, I don't want you guys looking down there the whole time, so there we go. All right. Hey, you guys like to hike. Some of you love hiking, right? Yeah, because you're in a great place to hike. Uh, and I know from uh, folks I track with on Facebook, some of you just love to get out and hike. In Colorado, we have 54 peaks that are over 14,000 feet high. And there, there are people out there who, who run them. There are people out there who've done all 54, and they're on their second or third time. But for me and a few of our kids and the young people in our church, we have summited eight of them, eight of them so far. And, and I feel pretty proud of it. It's an accomplishment. It, re- excuse me, it really takes it out of you to, to uh, do that. But uh, I, as a 56, 56-year-old man... Whatever. I'm in my 50s. I know that. Uh, I feel good about that. The very first hike that I can remember uh, really doing that had, you know, had to do with the mountain was after, the summer after I graduated in 1980, a friend of mine, Ron, uh, said to me, hey, let's celebrate graduating by hiking one, one of the peaks around here. And, you know, 18-year-old guys were like, well, sure, let's pick one. You know, Rainier, Hood, what are we going to do? And, you know, I grew up in Gig Harbor just north of here. And so he picked Mount Eleanor in the Olympics, which I think is about 11,000 feet. And, you know, we just showed up in shorts and T-shirts. I don't even know if we had water, snacks, anything. Like, we're just going to go hike a mountain because, you know, we're graduates from high school. And so we started hiking, and we never saw anybody the whole day. No one on the trail, no one there, because it was a typical June day, you know, in Washington. It was raining and cloudy and just misting nonstop. We were wet within the first 10 minutes, and and Ron was a real athlete, man. He just took off. Let's just hike this as fast as we can. So we hiked for hours and hours as fast as we could without taking breaks. And um, hours in, I don't know how long it took us to reach the summit, but maybe four, something like that, of hiking just nonstop. The clouds started to dissipate a little bit, and the rain started to go away. And as we were hiking, we basically, as we were nearing the summit, we hiked up through the top of the clouds. And we got to the summit, and it was a completely different atmosphere. Some of you have been in an airplane, and you know what it's like. You guys know what it's like to take off in cloudy, rainy weather. Do you know that? And you take off, and then you, you break through the clouds. It's a whole different world up there. There is, there is a sun uh, all you Washingtonians, I, I just want you to know, still there, and what you see today, enjoy. It'll be gone tomorrow. And 
we got up there, and it wasn't just a different atmosphere. It was, it was so majestic. So we're sitting on top of this mountain, and the cloud uh, is like a floor beneath us, the top of the clouds. And then we look off, and there's these other peaks in the Olympic Range. Then there's the whole Cascade Range. And we were the only ones up there. And it was quiet, and it was powerful. Now, Ron, my friend, was not a believer. I was a believer, but I was struggling with God at that moment, at that time. But we were, there's no way you could stand up there and not experience the the incredible majesty and glory of God. And, And you couldn't be an atheist up there. And I could tell that Ron, for that moment, was a believer. He was just like, wow, wow. It was a sacred moment, and I regretted for a lot of my life that I wasn't at a place with the Lord that I didn't share the gospel with him right then. But years later, I, I visited him in California, and I said, do you remember when we were on top of him? He goes, yeah, and I was like, do you remember how you felt? That's because there's a creator who put all this together, and he loves you, and I shared the gospel with him. Ron still doesn't know the Lord, so I've been praying for him for 38 years, but he's on a journey, and I know that moment was a part of it. Well, our scriptures today, thank you, Tim, for reading them, they, they so powerfully illustrate how much God wants to communicate to you and to me who he is and the love he has for us. And we know from this psalm that he, he's going to communicate it in two ways. He's going to communicate it through creation in general revelation, and he's going to communicate it through his word in specific revelation. We also know from many texts in scripture that God wants to communicate to us through his people with encouragement and exhortation. Uh, That's a whole nother sermon or two. Uh, It's not in the text, so we're going to focus on these other two, creation and God's word. So let's look at Psalm 19 together. And here's my whole outline. God is speaking to us through creation. God is speaking to us through his word. Are we listening? That's it. That's the message. I'm going to keep going, but that's the message right there. The heavens, the psalmist David writes, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Have you ever been in the middle of nowhere camping or uh, Wyoming or somewhere? I had to throw Wyoming in this week. And, And it's nighttime and there's no lights and you look up at the stars and you see things you don't normally see in terms of the the splendor, the heavens. What are they doing? They're declaring the glory of God to us. They're, they're, They're just shouting out that our creator is there. And the skies, they're displaying the works of his hands. And some of your translations might say firmament. And the idea is, especially for in those times, when they viewed the universe... They couldn't fathom what we know about the universe and the light years and the galaxies. They pictured, they pictured the stars being more kind of located above the earth. <clears throat> and they pictured the firmament being like a bowl that God placed over the earth to seal in life, to protect it. So when they say the skies, they're picturing everything they can see in creation that is protected by this firmament uh, of God. And they pictured the stars and and the planets and such sort of on the top of that bowl, 
kind of just moving around. That's how much they could understand. But even with that understanding, David is saying, the heavens declare God's glory. The skies show his love for us in that he is continuously sustaining us. They show his works. How often do they do that? Verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Continuously, all day long, all of creation is pouring forth the speech of the glory of God and displaying its not, his not, the knowledge of him to us in all of creation, not just on the mountaintops, but in the smallest of detail. God's glory is present. Day after day after day, it's pouring forth the speech of the glory of God. And as the night comes on, I, I picture in this text, the day kind of handing the baton to the night. And in between, there's this like, let's do a sunset and remind the world that God is there and he's going to paint this whole beautiful thing. And the night's like, yeah, do that. And then the night takes the baton and then all night long, the heavens declare the glory of God and the night's like, his shift is over. And he says, okay, back to the day. Let's do a sunrise to get their attention and let them know that the glory of God is coming for their next day as well. Day after day, from the beginning of creation, day after day, the day and the night are pouring forth the speech, the words of God about his glory. I think that's a beautiful picture. It's a great picture, excuse me, of how much God wants to communicate to us and, and remind us that he's there. And it not only is it continuous, but it's, it's comprehensive. Look at the next two verses. David says, there's no speech or language in verse 3 where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Now commentators, Bible scholars say this verse, verse 3, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard, could really mean a couple of things. It could mean that there's, a creation is communicating in such a powerful way it doesn't need words. It's without words. Some of your translation may say that. Because it's a silent, continuous communication of God. Others would say it, it means there's no speech or language on the earth that can escape the proclamation of the voice of God. Because no matter where you go in the world, no matter what language you speak, whatever your tongue is, you can look at the creation of God and hear the creator speak of his presence and his glory to you. Either way, God is communicating all the time with all people, saying, I'm here. Francis Schaeffer, some of you remember the theologian, he wrote a book called He is Here and He is Not Silent. So the first question for us related to these first few voices is, um, are we aware of the speech, the words, uh, the pouring forth of God that God is trying to communicate to us and the world all the time, every day? And I, I love creation. And when I stop, uh, sometimes I can actually get a sense of, of, of the Lord's presence. But a lot of times, like you and me, I'm just 
going through life busy and full, and it's, this speech is just kind of going by me, but I'm not really aware of it. It's kind of like Kyrie's experience skydiving about a month ago. Jake uh, got her, along with the help of family, uh, one of her bucket lists, which is to skydive. And I'm like, girl, that's not safe. I've been on a lot of airplanes, and the only one I wanted to jump out of was the one I took from Asia around the world to 16 hours. About 15 hours, I was like, if you give me a parachute, I'll land in the ocean. I'll be really happy. But I, I like, I'd rather stay on in the airplane. So Kyrie, you know, has this amazing experience where she jumps out of an airplane. Now, the first minute is a free fall. Any of you skydived? Wise people, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's a free fall. And you know, when you, if you've seen video or whatever, it looks great. They do formations, everybody's happy. Well, it's not quite that great, according to Kyrie. I mean, get out on I-5, go up to 100 miles an hour, and stick your head out the window and see what a wonderful experience that is. Because that's, I mean, just imagine if a bug hits you at 100 miles an hour. Some of you motorcyclists, you know, it's not a big deal. You know how you tell a happy motorcyclist? Bugs in his teeth, yeah. That was free, let it go. I'm wearing cool socks. Y'all still with me? All right. Hundred I mean, it's, and it's very cold up there. So she was instantly just freezing, and it's hard to breathe. And what she didn't realize until the guy pulled the chute was that she was just spinning like this. So she was sick. I mean, why spend money on that? I don't know. That just does not sound fun. But when he pulled the chute... And then she got to float down and enjoy the rest of the ride. That's a completely different experience. Well, that's sort of a picture of how difficult it is to live these first four verses. Because we're in a free fall of life in terms of busyness. And we're task-oriented. And we're missing all of this communication all around us all the time. And, and David is saying, hey, slow down. Some of you remember this song? Slow down, you're moving too fast. You got to make the morning last just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. Yeah. You're welcome. That's free. I haven't sung in a long time, but no, no extra money in the offering for that. That's just all, all just to bless you. Some of you young people are like, groovy. That's a word. That's a word. Slow down. So I think one of my first encouragement to all of us is to figure out how we can actually slow ourselves down, even if it's for a few moments. Not just to enjoy creation, because that's great. My non-Christian friends enjoy creation. But to connect with the creator who is pouring forth speech, words to us about who he is in creation, as flawed as it is and broken, it still reflects his glory, his very essence. So let's do that some more this week. Let's go on. I'm going to just summarize these next verses. If you look at them, it's all about the sun. And the sun's a pretty big deal. And David's summary of this is, our sun is a stud. That's, that's what he's saying right here. The sun is amazing. And look at the very last line of verse 6. 
Nothing is hidden from his heat. And in this, David is saying that that word for heat is both a blessing. We need the sun. It's in the perfect uh, place, and it's we couldn't live without it, clearly. Uh, many blessings. But that word is uh, also translated in other places in the Old Testament as righteous anger. It reflects the heat of God. And so when David is saying nothing's hidden from its heat, he's kind of given us a warning that this creator who's speaking his glory is very watchful of all that is going on. And he is also uh, the great God who will judge. So he's given us a little warning here. And then he shifts gears. He shifts gears to the law. Now, he would have been primarily referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, But we have this whole law. And David just goes off, coming up with adjectives to describe how amazing the law of God is, the Torah. And this is just like the intro to Psalm 119, where 176 verses, where most of them are about the beauty and benefits of this specific word from God that we have in our hands and by our beds and on our phones and tablets, how amazing it is. So let's look at what he has to say because God speaks specifically to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word perfect just means it's complete, it's whole. We don't need to add anything to it. Stirring, reviving, giving life to our souls. Bless you. Stephen, is that you? Bless you. Hey, I still, I told Joyce just how much your presentation last week meant to us, you and your, thank you, guys. Okay. Uh, I can't do it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That word statues means like, uh, warning signs um, along a highway or no trespass. There, there, are about, there are signs that are going to give us guidance. And God's signs that are warning us, they're completely trustworthy. Now, if, if you've ever used Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze or whatever you use, I know at some point those, those signposts in that app as she or he was talking to you, were not completely trustworthy, were they? You've had that experience? Most of the time, it works great. We were driving through Croatia, heading up to uh, Joyce's brother's house in Slovenia, and the, and the, the map I was, uh, was using kept saying it's seven hours, and we were, we were winding through the middle of the, it was gorgeous country, but it, I, was, I was getting more and more stressed because this was taking so long, and, and the, the lady now, in the GPS on the rental car, she was so confident. She's always confident. She says, turn here. And I'm like, but okay, she knows, right? You know this experience. Well, someone before us in that rental car had turned off all the toll roads. And all the highways in Croatia are tolled. So we, she was just taking us the non-highway route. And it was adding over two and a half hours to our trip. And... For me, of course, I was like, well, be still and know that he is God. You know, I got this. I got this. That's not true. I was stressed. But the road signs, the road signs God has for us, completely trustworthy. Making wise is simple, and that word simple means uh, inexperienced, youth. It's how young people become wise. 
following these road signs. Verse 8, the precepts. Um, Switch your notes. Which are general rules intended to regulate our behavior or thought. What are they? They're right. They're giving joy to the heart. I was thinking as I was looking at this, what are all the things that give me joy? Well, a lot of things just in life give me a lot of joy. Is this one of them? Is this like David do? I'd say, oh, the joy. This is not burdensome. This is, I run in your commands for they have set my heart free. Psalm 119, 20. Somewhere, Joy said it, but she knows it, but I couldn't read her lips. In Psalm 119, right? They set us free, so they give us a lot of joy. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That means understanding. Ladies, you know when you're trying to explain something to your husband and he's not getting it? Let's pick a topic. Okay, let's say you're driving. You're driving. She's trying to explain to you how, you know, you're aggressive driving and, you know, you're, you're rage at other motorists or whatever and, and, and how, you know, they feel a little unsafe and, and you're kind of ignoring it. She's trying to explain to you why you should, you know, just drive a little less aggressively and make it a more peaceful experience for the rest of the people in the car. Am I touching on a nerve? Because I really intended to. So, and as husbands, we're to lay our lives down and love our wives as we did for Christ, so we should drive in such a way that uh, makes them comfortable. That's just free also. You don't have to put any extra offering. Some of the guys are like, I'm taking some of my, okay. Whatever. You guys work it out. But you know, ladies, when you say it another way or something happens and you see understanding in his eyes, or husbands, you see understanding in her eyes, that's the picture here of what the commands of the Lord do for us. They lighten our eyes because we, we see, we understand. They give wisdom, just another benefit. Verse 9, he shift gears a little bit here in that he gives one of our responses to the word. He says, the fear of the Lord is pure or clean, enduring forever. So our response to the the Lord and his word spoken through creation and through his words is to fear him. And if we fear him, it's going to last. How many things in your life last? Did you come to church with a clean house? Did you leave a clean house? Here's something I can guarantee. Okay, some of you left it messy. You're like... (laughs) A few of you, the guys are like, no, 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 it wasn't clean. Whatever. That unclean house, that's not going to last because at some point, you're just going to have to clean it up. And, and we all encourage you to do that. <laughs> but if it's clean, man, it's not going to last. You're going to have dust on it. it it's going to deteriorate. It, you work at keeping things clean. Your car, man, you like your car clean. It's not going to last. Have you worked in your yard this summer? Have, have you gotten rid of the weeds and, and made your lawn just look really nice? And, and, and you have that satisfaction of a, of a yard that looks semi-decent? It's not going to last. No, I'm not saying all these things so you're just like, wow, the preacher said I really don't ever have to do any maintenance on anything or any cleaning because it's not going to last. Well, talk to your wife and kids about that. But here's the thing. Nothing lasts. Everything we do here is just temporary, temporary, temporary. And we give a lot of time and attention to those temporary things. 
But the psalmist is telling us, well, there's something you can give your attention to that will go on for eternity. Fear God. Be in awe of God. Invest in that. That seems wise to me. The ordinances, bless you, of the Lord are sure and altogether. And I'm at the end of verse 9 here. I'm, I'm cruising. I've been sort of floating through this sermon, you know, like the parachute is up and I need to be free falling. So here we go. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. These are the judicial pronouncements of God. His uh, judging right and wrong. They're always sure. They're altogether righteous. I mean, in these days, the gods with the little g, they were, they were never, their judgments were capricious and unreliable and who knows what. But our God, now he's using the word Yahweh we talked about last week, all through this text now. Our Yahweh, almighty God, when he makes a judgment, it's always righteous. Not just righteous, altogether righteous, always. Well, that's very comforting. Very comforting. And then he wraps this section up in verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. So David's just thinking of, uh, you know, precious things. And he's just saying God's word, God's voice to us in his word is just more precious than any possession, uh, anything that we could dip our hand into would be sweet. Even a, a venti caramel macchiato from Starbucks, whatever the sweet thing is. I mean, God's word is just so much sweeter and so much more valuable. So again, I was thinking, what's my relationship to money? I like it. It's hard when I don't have enough or our kids don't have enough. It's pretty important. Uh, it's, it's a blessing. It's a needed thing in my life. I value it. But... David is saying, man, compared to God's word, to God's voice to us, doesn't compare. Think about that. Does his word mean that much to you today? In this last section, uh, David is again shifting gears, and he's saying there's all these blessings from, from God's word, from his voice that comes to us specifically through it. But then he says, but there's also, it doesn't just nourish us and bless us, it is protection for us. And look at this, he says in verse 11, by them, by, by these precepts, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And again, if we look at Psalm 119 and other places, we know, James, how important the word of God is to our lives in battling sin. And it's interesting, David starts with, you know, how, can I know myself? I mean, he's saying the word is flawless, and the author of the word is flawless, but the receiver is flawed. And that impacts even how I look at those words and how I interpret them. But he's saying, hidden faults, anybody have hidden faults? Things you would rather people didn't know about you. They're not necessarily sins or little mistakes you make, errors. Of course you do. Human beings, we, we, we have things that are broken and flawed. And it's normal 
to want to keep those hidden because they might embarrass us a little or, or make us feel not good about ourselves. And David's saying, yeah, I got those. And he's also saying, God's got them covered. If they need forgiveness, they're covered. It, it, you know, things I've done that I didn't intend to, you know, uh, I didn't know I did that hurt somebody, God's got those ultimately covered. But then he says, but the, the word also keeps me from willful sin, from choosing sin. And he kind of shows that progression that we have in James 1 where he says, if we, you, know, you choose sin, then ultimately, if we continue in that, we could be uh, in danger of a greater transgression. We, we might get addicted to a certain kind of a sin, and in the small moment, it doesn't have great consequence. It might be hidden, but it can lead to a greater transgression that he's praying that the word would protect him from. I've said it before here, the collapse of a Christian life, it's never a blowout. It's always a slow leak. We got to watch out for the leaks. And you know what helps us do that? God's word. Having that mirror James talks about having that truth, uh, being so in love with this truth and the author of the truth that sin begins to lose its temptation. It's, it's a lure to fill us and give us life, which are all lies, and we know that. They're less of a pull. So think about those things in your life this morning, and let's look at the last verse. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is a prayer that some preachers pray before they preach. Have you heard that? Lord, may, may my words and meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. It's interesting to me that this is actually a conclusion, not a prelude. And I think what David is thinking and feeling here is that when he thinks about this glorious display of God's character and his glory in creation and through the flawless word, his words coming to us, then in my response, he's saying, oh Lord, if there's any way I could measure up to your words by my words, the matching, the, the beauty of what you have given me, that's my prayer. My outward expression and my inward meditation, my thoughts. It's a great prayer. Of course, Yahweh, the rock, a redeemer. And that word redeemer, again, he's, he's putting himself under the grace of God. I mean, ultimately, he's, he, even with this desire to do better with his words and his thoughts and to match the beauty and power of God's words, he's saying, I need this redeemer. I'm a sinner and I'm human. So in conclusion, let me just, mm -hmm. <sighs> conclusion, God is speaking. All, all these love letters to us right here, what's your relationship like to God's spoken word? Maybe you're in a great place and you're reading it, meditating on it, studying it, um, and maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you grab this for church, or maybe you open that app for church. I don't know. You know, I've been through all kinds of seasons in my own relationship, times where I just really hungered for it. 
like the psalmist is doing, and other times where I just like it just, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem relevant or it didn't seem that important. I just neglected it for days and days. I don't think weeks, but days and days and days. Times I'll spend in here and I'll just, I like, God, are you, if you're speaking, I don't hear you. My soul is exhausted and dry and I don't even have the ears. And that last verse, I just, I think, I think God is saying to all of us today, it's the word of life. And no matter where we are currently with it, we should take a step toward it. We should do something to say, I believe what Psalm 19 says about this book, about your words. I'm going to take just one step. Maybe it's just one verse. Just going to just just get in it a little bit. And I'm going to believe, God, that you can, through your spirit, illumine it for me. Because these are the words of life from God our Father. I think about a year and a half ago, and I'm pretty sure I haven't told you this story, but if I have, just pretend like you haven't heard it before. My closing thought, or this story, I was in, I was in a, 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 an exhausted stage. I was in a stage where I, I was, if I was even reading God's word, it was just, just drive through. I just was getting my order and going. I wasn't even really letting it soak in. And I go away every year to, uh, Cadence sends me away. It's to their benefit to go to the mountains and have just three or four days where I just decompress, think about God, think about our organization, think about what God is doing and what he wants from me and my leadership, set goals, all those things, read. And it was near the end, and, I, and this place, someone had given, it was on Airbnb, and they given me this great deal. It was like a $300 a night cab, and he gave cadence for 120 bucks because he loved the military and I'm like so there were like five bedrooms and I was like I got this whole place now I'm an introvert so this was heaven it was it was not horrible I wasn't lonely I was like thank you Jesus for all the people in my life please help them not to interrupt me for four days that's the introvert's prayer some of you know what I'm talking about but I was just nothing I was just I just felt dead I just felt inside just like I need a reviving and at night this this was kind of an isolated cabin I mean the cabin sits up on a hill near one of the 14ers near Breckenridge and there's nothing around it and and it's quiet and and it sits up at 11,000 feet and I just I was on the deck one night and I was like I was just like God I'm sorry I'm just exhausted and I I don't even hunger for your word what can you meet me here and so I put my headphones on and I started some worship songs. And some, you know, sometimes that'll help just get me calibrated. Nothing was going on. And then a song came on about how God can break the chains in our lives. And for me, it was a chain of exhaustion and apathy. And have I told this story before? Okay, you're all doing great and saying no, thank you. <laughs> and, and then something happened. As that song was playing, I looked up at those stars again, and I thought of this psalm, and I thought of the declaration, and I, and, I, and I felt the Spirit literally fill me up with passion for God. And I started weeping with joy for who God is, and that I'm in relationship with the God of the universe. 
and that I don't deserve this relationship, but it's made possible by the death and resurrection of his son, and here I am, his servant. And even though I don't feel like I'm performing in my relationship with him, he's right there speaking, and, and I just started to weep. And then a, a song of celebration came on, and I started dancing around on this deck, and I know I'm in a Baptist church, but I'm telling you people... There's a time. David danced before the Lord, and there's a time where you got to bust a move for Jesus. Come on. It's biblical. And I was just dancing and, and crying, and then I was on my knees, and, uh, and then, since there was no one around, there was a song about how God is, is the king of the universe, and I was just yelling it out. And here's what I heard from the Lord. It's like, David, I love you. I'm not done with you. I've got work for you to do. And right now, what I want to do is just fill your heart with the joy of the Lord. I'm here. And I just received it. I, I, just, I was just out there for the longest time. And I just, I want to encourage you. That was a mountaintop experience. And then I went back to the grind. And I don't always feel like that. I mostly feel like when I went up there. But I believe this text is true. I believe the God of this universe, he loves you. And he's trying to speak to you regularly. Like a dad to his little child. Just like, I love you. And then he gave us this, this book. It's precious. And one of the promises that revive our soul. Believe it. Don't let Satan cause you to believe the lie that that's not true. That this book does, is not relevant to your life. It's the very word of God. It is a nourishment for our soul. And wherever you are in your relationship to the Lord or to his word, it's my prayer today that you would just do what I did and say, God, here I am. Meet me where I'm at, and he'll be delighted to do that for you. Heavenly Father, we, we just come to you as your church and your people. You know where your spirit is speaking to your people here. I know he's convicting some of willful sin this morning. And I pray for that brother or sister that they would not hang on to that sin and the false lie. And they would release it to you and you would release them from the bondage of that sin. Because that's the thing that's robbing their hearts of a vibrant love for you. I pray for these servants who are just being faithful and maybe they just feel like they haven't heard a fresh voice from you. Lord, would you give it to them in creation and the word through your people? Would you encourage them in their spirits? And may your spirit just descend on us as a church and your people today. That we can open our ears and our eyes. That we might know you and the knowledge you are displaying and the truth you are, you are singing out to us every day. We love you, God. You know that. And we need you to help us love you even deeper. So I pray for my friends here today and for myself and my family that we would live this today from your word and we would respond with obedient and joyful hearts. 
in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen.